psalmist said, Shout with joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him singing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us. We are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving. Go into His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and praise His name. For the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever. And His faithfulness continues to each generation. I want to share with you this morning what the Lord has laid on my heart. Simply talking about thanksgiving and praise. If you will, pray with me and for me one more time. Father, we thank you, we love you, we praise you for your presence that is in this place today. God, I I consider myself like the Apostle Paul. I feel like a worm and no man. But God, if you'll anoint me today to bring your word, God, I'll I'll speak, I, I pray to speak your words and not mine. God, anoint these lips of clay to be your mouthpiece today. And don't let this message come forth with the enticing words of men's wisdom. But Lord, as Paul said, let it come forth in the demonstration of your spirit and with power. Lord, let us leave this place today differently than we came because we've been in your presence and changed by your word. We give you the glory, the honor, and the praise today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Nicholas. As we prepare to celebrate Thanksgiving this week, I've been doing some thinking about the true concept of Thanksgiving. Now, several years ago, one of our Sunday school teachers here organized what was called a progressive dinner around the holidays for her Sunday school class and some of the other youth. And in this dinner, they progressed from one house to another for different courses of the meal. Now, here's what the word progress literally means. It means to move forward or to develop to a higher better or more advanced stage. And as I begin to think about Thanksgiving and then the progressive dinner that they did many years ago, it was actually around Thanksgiving, I began to think about the fact that Thanksgiving is actually, according to the Word of God, just one stop on a two-stop progression. I'm going to prove that to you through the Word today. However, I also realized that both stops are equally important. You see, in a progressive dinner, one stop is not more important than the other. They all play a key role in completing the meal and the overall experience. You may go to one house for an appetizer, to the next house for a salad, to the next house for uh, the main course and some vegetables, and to the next uh, house for uh, dessert, and and that's how you progress through uh, the dinner. And Every stop along the way plays a key role in completing the meal and the overall experience. And so I want to talk to you today about the progression of thanksgiving and praise. But I also don't want to, want to diminish any stop along the way. And there's some truths and lessons that we must learn from each step. Now we find here that David deals with this progression in the Psalms. He simply says that we are to enter... His gates with thanksgiving. Now, without going into great detail, 
uh, on the layout of the tabernacle in the Old Testament, it serves to reason and to logic that the gates were the first place that you enter. It would parallel, if you will, our front doors. Uh, those are the, the point of entry into the building. That was the gates uh, and the purpose that they served in the tabernacle. It was the first step. It was essential to get in. But there were also deeper places to go once you got inside those gates. If you came to service today and you entered into the front doors and just stayed in the foyer, I can tell you your experience of God's presence in the service would be completely different than those who have came on into the courts where the presence of the Lord is dwelling. And David says that we gain access or entry into this deeper place, which the Bible calls the courts, with our praise. We're going to talk about praise in a minute. You see, in David's tabernacle, there was no veil to shield the presence of God from the people. So once you gained access into the courts, you were already literally in God's presence. And David teaches us that there is a progression to praise. We enter with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving gets our foot in the door, but praise takes us higher and deeper into the presence and the things of God. So what is praise, Pastor? Well, Merriam-Webster defines praise as this. Listen, an outward expression of approval. An outward expression of approval. Say outward. Can you express something outward by keeping it inward? No. It's an outward expression of approval. He also, uh, Merriam-Webster also defines it as worship. Now you've heard me say this before and I'm going to say it again. You can worship the Lord without opening your mouth, without uttering a sound, without making any kind of movement. You can certainly worship the Lord in your heart. But you cannot praise the Lord unless you exhibit an outward expression of your worship. That's when you lift your hands. That's when you clap your hands. That's when you lift your voice and glorify and magnify God. That's why the psalmist David said it this way. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. A lot of times people will say, why do those Pentecostal people have to be so loud? Why do they have to? It's because we are giving an outward expression of an inward experience to a God who is worthy and it's called praise. If you're going to praise Him, you got to open your mouth. If you're going to praise Him, you got to lift your hands or clap your hands. If you're going to praise Him, you must exhibit an outward expression of the inward work that God has done in your life. So if you'll allow me today, I want to talk to you about this progression. Let's first talk about Thanksgiving. I want to deal with Thanksgiving first. And before we go too far, I want to share with you some, I scared my wife to, to death in the 845 service, but she already knows now, so she won't be scared anymore. But before we get too far, I want to share with you a really deep revelation. I want you to buckle your seatbelts. Hold on, get ready, get your pen ready. Scoot to the edge of your seat, hold your breath. Here it is. Are you ready? Thanksgiving always comes before Christmas. Somebody just said, help my time. 
Thanksgiving always comes before Christmas. Let me say it this way. Thanksgiving always precedes Christmas. Okay, I know every elementary student already knew the answer to that. Nobody is going to write a book based on this thought, and I'm certainly probably not going to get a call from Christian television to come expound on the concept that Thanksgiving precedes Christmas. Nobody sits around pondering, wondering which comes first, the turkey or the tree. Nobody, nobody wonders that. But I remind you that of this this morning because it seems that we rush right past Thanksgiving to get to Christmas. Now, when I was growing up, and let me say this before I get there, nowadays, and it's okay, I'm not judging if you're a premature decorator. Nowadays, before we ever carve the turkey, we've already trimmed the tree and hung the stockings. Some of you have already got presents wrapped in under the tree, right? So I think it serves the purpose why I'm going to remind you this morning that Thanksgiving precedes Christmas because there is a biblical principle here in a minute. Uh, but when I was a kid growing up, I remember we used to gather in my granny's house. Anybody remember those days? You gathered at granny's. Granny had a big family and a tiny house. Anybody else have a granny with a big family and a tiny house? She had two bedrooms, one bathroom, a kitchen, and a living room, and that was it. And there was about 35 or 40 of us at least that would cram into that little bitty house. And uh, I didn't know what it was to sit at a table for Thanksgiving until I was a full-grown adult. Because at Granny's house, the kids didn't have room. And if you were under 18, you were still a kid, by the way. And the kids didn't have room to eat at any of the tables. We got to sit crisscross applesauce. How many knows what that is? In the living room floor with your plate on your lap. Now somebody says, I can't do that. i got to stretch my legs out. Not at my Granny's house, you wouldn't. There's not enough room for you to stretch your legs out. You got your plate. You found a little hole in the corner. And you sat down crisscross applesauce. And you enjoyed your Thanksgiving dinner. But before we did that, here's what I remember. I remember my granny would gather all of the family and we would have to go from the kitchen. It was an eat-in kitchen, no formal dining room. We'd have to go from the kitchen and all the way around the kitchen and a curve around the kitchen wall. And then there was a, just an open bedroom with no door. One of the two bedrooms had no door. We'd curve around that bedroom and around the bed, back out into the little bitty hallway and then into the living room and around the living room and back to the kitchen door. We would all gather around that way and it took the whole house for us to do that. And what would we do? We would join hands together and Granny would tell us we're going to thank the Lord for His goodness to our family. We paused and we took a time of thanksgiving. Nowadays we have made it just a kickoff to Christmas. Somebody help me preach this morning. And we don't pause to stop and give thanks to the Lord. But I want to tell you something today and that is thanksgiving precedes Christmas, right? So if Thanksgiving precedes Christmas, that means Thanksgiving precedes a season of miracles. Thanksgiving always precedes the season that is about to birth a miracle. Do you follow me? There's a spiritual and a biblical principle here. Thanksgiving precedes divine birth. There are numerous scriptural accounts that validate 
this principle, but maybe one of the best and the most significant is the story of Lazarus. Everybody knows about Lazarus. And we read in John chapter 11, Jesus approaches the tomb of a dead man prepared to perform a miracle. He's already prepared for the miracle he's going to perform. And in verse 39, the word says, roll the stone aside. That's what Jesus said. Uh, He said, but Martha, the dead man's sister, protested. She said, Lord, He's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. But a dead man is about to be born. What she doesn't know is a dead man is about to be reborn into life. And moments before Jesus wakes the dead with the clarion call, Lazarus, come forth. You've heard it preached many times. Moments before that, I want you to notice something in the Word. He pauses mid-miracle and he has thanksgiving. I want you to listen for the truth here in the Word. So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up into heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. <laughs> and then he goes on to say, I, I don't, You always hear me, Lord, but I don't say it loud. I don't just say it for that. I know you always hear me, but I'm saying it loud for the sake of all these people that are standing here so that they will believe that you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes and his face wrapped in a headcloth. And Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. I wonder this morning or this afternoon, it's not afternoon yet, it's still morning. I wonder what would happen if this world around us saw the people of God when they faced, this was devastation folks. This was a brother that had died and was in the tomb for four days. And here we find Jesus himself as he gets ready to perform this miracle. What does he do? He pauses and he says, Father, I thank you for hearing me as he begins to pray. And I don't just say that because, Lord, you always hear me. But I say that so all these people around me will know, God, and that they will believe that you sent me. I wonder what this world would think if the people of God, when they go through trials, when they go through circumstances, when they go through sickness, when they go through trouble, if the world around us could see us look up into heaven and say, Father, I thank you that I know that you hear me. I thank you that you hear me when I pray. And God, I'm not just saying this because you always hear me. But God, I want these people around me to hear me when I call upon you. Oh, it reminds me of the story of Elijah when he was up on Mount Carmel. He gave all of those 850 false prophets, 400 prophets of Grove and 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of the Groves. He gave them time to cry aloud and to cut themselves and to do everything they could to get the to get God to answer by fire because there was a contest on to see who was the real God. Boy, there's a contest on in the world that we're living today. There's a lost world that's looking at a church wanting to know who has the real God. But we see that Elijah came out on the scene and he began to pray and he said, Oh God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, show these people that you are God and answer by fire and the Bible said the 
fire fell from heaven it consumed the sacrifice and the wood on the altar and it licked up the water in the trench and then all of the people around Elijah began to say his Lord he is the God Elijah's Lord he is the God God give us a people in the church today that know how to pray that'll say God I thank you that you hear me I know it don't look good but I thank you that you hear me I thank you that you see me and I thank you that you answer prayer now for those of you that might need further proof I want you to remember Jesus followed the same pattern before he fed the multitudes now before you get confused there's two accounts in the gospels of Jesus feeding the multitudes the first time he fed them with five loaves and two fishes he fed 5,000 men not counting women and children. The second time, he fed them with seven loaves and two fishes. And he fed 4,000 men, not counting women and children. But in Matthew chapter 15, we read this account in verses 36 through 38. It says, Then he took the seven loaves and the fish. Watch what he did. Thanked God for them. And broke them into pieces. And he gave them to the disciples who distributed the food to the crowd. They all, say all, ate as much as they wanted. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven large baskets of leftover food. There were 4,000 men who were fed that day in addition to all of the women and children. But we read in verse 36 that Jesus took the seven loaves and the two fishes and he thanked God for them. I want to tell you something today. Maybe what you're looking at, what you have, may not seem to be enough. It may not seem like, it. see we live in a time where I'm afraid that sometimes social media kind of crushes our thankfulness because we can't be thankful for what we have for lusting over what somebody else has. Hello, somebody. But I wonder if the people of God, what would happen if we began to say, God, I see this, and even though it don't look like enough, I thank you that it's going to be enough. I thank you for what you've provided, having a thankful heart causes the hand of God to move. Jesus knew that thanksgiving provokes and spurs God to work on our behalf. Jesus knew that a thankful heart stirs God's hand. Listen, you may be looking for a season of birth in your life. You may be in dire need of the birth of a new job. The stress and the strain or the cares even of this life. And for those of you, I look around the room and see some folks that are in the ministry. The cares and the strain of ministry life might be demanding that you have a, a rebirth emotionally and spiritually. Maybe sickness has you on your knees crying out to God for healing. Or perhaps a quick peek in your checkbook reveals that a financial birth needs to take place soon. But can I, can I tell you something today? Give thanks first. Give thanks first. Get the order right and then see what is birthed. Paul, speaking to the church at Philippi, he bears out this truth and he teaches us the same lesson in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. Listen to what he says. Don't worry about anything. I would venture to say 
There's not a single person in this room that can say I'm not guilty of that. Not a single person. But here's what Paul said. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Watch this. Tell God what you need. And then what will you do? Thank Him for what He's done. See, we let our needs be known by giving thanks first. We get it backwards many times. Oh, we, we want the miracle. Then after the result, we'll give thanks, right? After we get the miracle, we'll, we'll give thanks. But the truth is, we should give thanks first. So my question is to us today, if we're not seeing miracles, if we're not seeing breakthroughs, if we're not seeing answers, could it be that we're failing to enter His gates with thanksgiving? Have we become so negative and ungrateful that we fail to give Him thanks? Has our attitude became, and let me, let me say this, parents, if you have children that are not thankful and grateful for what they have, perhaps you're giving them too much. Won't get many amens on that. Perhaps we're giving them too much if they're not grateful and thankful for what they have. Because what I'm seeing in the church is they grow up to become people that say, Why me? Why my family? Now, all of us have said that at times. but Or why now? Oh God, and, and I hear this from the younger generation sometimes. Why would a God who loves me do this to me? Or why would a God who loves me do this to my family. And so we forget that the same God who performed the miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead allowed Lazarus to die first. I'm sure Mary and Martha could have said, why me? Matter of fact, they did. Here's what they said. Why would you wait so long? He's already dead. What have you been waiting on? You can't call him out now. He already stinks. Sometimes God will prove a point to you. You might think I can't, but I can. The world may tell you I can't, but I can. The doctor's report may not look good, but oh, I can. The checkbook may not look good. The bank account may not look good, but I'm Jehovah Jireh. I'm the God that provides for you. I'm Jehovah Rapha. I'm the God that healeth thee. I'm Jehovah Nisi. I'm your banner of victory. I'm Jehovah Shalom. I am your God, and above me there are no other. I can. Sometimes God will prove a point to you. But when we fail to develop an attitude of gratitude, Many times we fail to receive miracles. Now, Thanksgiving requires us to change our focus. We'll remain unthankful and negative unless we change our focus. We've got to learn to be thankful in spite of what we don't have. Did you hear me? We've got to learn to be thankful in spite of what we don't have. Was Lazarus alive? Not yet. Was there enough meat and bread to feed everybody? Not yet. But when the focus changed from what we don't have to who we do have, thanksgiving becomes possible. Some of us need to change our focus. 
All we can focus on is that empty bank account. It's time to change your focus to the God of provision. All we can focus on is our sickness. It's time to change our focus to the stripes that secured our healing. All we can focus on is our pain and sorrow and our trouble and what we're going through. It's time to change our focus to the one who bore all of our sorrows, who bore all of our griefs, and he felt all of our pain. But to get into the courts, we've got to change our focus from us to Him. See, you get, you enter the gates, you can enter the gates and your focus will still be on you. But if you're going to get into God's presence, if you're going to come into the courts, your focus has to be on Him. Some of us need to start with thanksgiving in spite of what we don't see in spite of what we don't hear or don't feel so I challenge you this morning to enter his gates with thanksgiving and see if the change of focus doesn't produce a change in the outcome but once you enter his gates with thanksgiving don't just stop there don't just stay at the door don't just stay in the foyer thanksgiving you see is based on what somebody does it's based on action the reality is it's easy to be thankful when you see what God has done. I don't know about you, but He saved me. He's rescued me. He set me free. He's lifted me up. He set my feet, as the psalmist said, upon a solid rock. He restores my soul. He's healed my body. He saved my children. He's done all of these wonderful things, and so I have no problem being thankful this morning. My heart is full of thanksgiving. I remember what the Lord has done, and I'm thankful. But Thanksgiving only gets you in the gate. It only gets you into the foyer. In order to get to the deeper level, you've got to move past Thanksgiving and progress on into praise. Thanksgiving's easy. If you do something nice for me, if I'm a decent human being, I'm going to say thank you. That's basic. It's necessary. It's the right thing to do. It's noteworthy. It's in order, but it's easy. Praise, however, is not based on what somebody does. It's based on who somebody is. It's based solely on the inherent worth of something. And that's the way an adult thinks. As adults, we begin to progress and we begin to give praise because of the value of something. So this morning, when Shelbo come through the living room really early, he likes to, you know, he's, he's, he like, he's like an old man. He likes to get up and drink his coffee and all that stuff in the morning. But he's not too far behind his daddy. I'm up at 5.30. He's usually up by 6, 6.30. When he came through the living room this morning and I was putting the finishing touches on my sermon, he loves cars, and so I figured he was going to say, what on earth are you doing on the Lamborghini website? But I was sitting there looking this morning, and I was trying to think of something that uh, is so valuable that I'll probably, chances are I'll probably never own a Lamborghini in this lifetime. Chances are most of you won't either. But even though I can't afford a Lamborghini, I can still praise its workmanship. I can still admire its quality. I can still value its style and recognize its worth. Does anybody follow me this morning? See, praise is more difficult than thanksgiving. 
That's why we're called by Paul. Look what he says to make a sacrifice of praise. It'll cost you something. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 15. Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to His name. See, that's the progression. That's when we mature and we go deeper into His presence and we no longer base our worship on what He's done for us, but rather on who He is. We don't have to be able to afford it. We don't have to be able to know that we can obtain it. We don't have to, when it comes to the healing, you know what some people say, why don't some people get healed on this earth? Let me tell you something. When you receive that glorified body in heaven, that's the most ultimate of healing you're ever going to receive. Did you hear me? But maybe, and God forbid, I pray that I don't, but if one of these days I ever get some type of terminal uh, or, or, or critical diagnosis, I want to be able to be the kind of person that stands back and that says, God, I don't know whether I'm going to obtain it or not. You know, that Lamborghini's expensive. That healing I, is beyond my control. I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to obtain it or not, but God, it doesn't change the fact that I still worship you because I know that you are the God that holds healing in your hands. It doesn't change the fact that you were wounded for my transgressions. You were bruised for my iniquity. The chastisement of my of your peace was upon me. It was upon you, and by your stripes I am healed. It doesn't change what your word says. So I admire the fact, God, and I value who you are, and that you're capable of doing what I cannot do for myself. I refuse to let my present circumstances or my present situation diminish your value because you're still God and you're still worthy. That's where we got to get to the place where David was in Psalms chapter 34 in verse 1. Look what he says. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Why does the psalmist say that? This is biblical proof for you. That if you're going to praise God, you have to open your mouth. Now, people express praise in all kinds of ways. There's no right way or wrong way to express your praise as long as, as, it, as, as, as it is decent and in order. There's, there's no right or wrong way. If you do it just to draw attention to yourself and away from God, that's not right. That's not the right way. But maybe you do something that's a little bit strange. I heard Brother Benny, when he was preaching uh, many times, talk about when the Spirit of the Lord would move on his mother, he knew it first because she'd be standing there and her finger would go beside her nose. And before you knew it, she'd be going, whoop, whoop. And then I have I've grew up around people that didn't listen. Let me tell you something. You all think Pentecostals is bad. I'm going to call a name this morning. Darla's going to know exactly who I'm talking about. I was doing my homework. on it. We got in revival. Listen, when I grew up in the Baptist church, we had revival all the time. We had tent revivals. We had church revival. My mama had a drug problem. She drugged me to church every time the doors was open. And so we was in revival one night. I was sitting there doing homework, and um, there was a lady by the name of June Parton sitting behind me and when the spirit of the Lord would move on June Parton now some of y'all y'all are going to think this is a Baptist church yes absolutely it's a Baptist church and the, the spirit of the Lord began to move on her I was sitting by Darla's mama Doris because I sat with Doris a lot in church I love Doris uh, Doris wasn't too glad I sat with her that night but she laughed her head off because they were somebody was up singing oh it gets sweeter anybody remember that song as the days go by these kids are looking at me like I've lost my mind 
Anybody remember that song, Sweeter as the Days Go By? And they were just singing that song. Uh, Pat was up there singing that song. And all of a sudden, June Parton was sitting beside me. And I mean, she went, she let out a war cry, children, my math book went right in the side of Doris's head, scared me to death, I literally jumped the pew in front of me, scared me to death, why, why are you telling that story, here's why I'm telling that story, different people express praise in different ways, and as long as it's decent and in order, and you're glorifying God, it's okay, but whatever you do, don't sit there with your mouth closed when God has been good to you, because you're afraid of what somebody else is going to think, go ahead and open your mouth and praise God. Because of what he's done for you And not just because of what he's done But because of who he is Give him some praise We can't get Hallelujah We can't get there though If we get stuck in thanksgiving We can't say that if we haven't moved Beyond only being grateful When he comes through for us Uh huh. Thanksgiving is on our lips Based on what he's done, has done, or 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 has done, is, is doing or has done, but Thanksgiving tends to be tied to our circumstances and our condition. You don't hear many people say, "Oh, I thank the Lord that I'm sick," right? Or, "I thank the Lord that my family member got COVID." Lord have mercy, if you say that, you need to hit this altar. You you normally say. I don't thank the Lord that they got COVID, but I thank the Lord that my family member didn't get COVID, right? Our thanksgiving tends to be circumstantial based on what we're going through, but praise can stay on our lips constantly because it's based entirely on His worth. Regardless of what we face or go through in this life, God's worth never changes. God's worth never changes or diminishes, and therefore... Our praise must remain constant. I want to share with you this morning an excerpt of a sermon because he can preach it much better than me. By a man by the name of Dr. S.M. Lockridge. He was an African-American pastor from San Diego, California. He said these words in a sermon. I want you to, the words are going to be on the screen as you listen. It's about six and a half minutes long. But he said these words in a sermon that he preached in Detroit, Michigan in 1976. That's how long ago this was. But I want you to listen to what he had to say about the worth of our king. My king was born king. The Bible says he's a seven-way king. He's a king of the Jews. That's a racial king. He's a king of Israel. That's a national king. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's a king of kings. And he is the Lord of lords. Now that's my king. Well, I wonder if you know him. Do you know him? Don't try to mislead me. Do you know my king? David said the heavens declare the glory of God. And the fundament showeth his handiwork. My king is the only one whom there's no means of measure can define his limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his soulless supply. No barriers can hinder him from pouring out his blessing. Well, well, he's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's impurely powerful. And he's impartially merciful. 
That's Marky. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's a centerpiece of civilization. He stands alone in himself. He's august. He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's supreme. He's preeminent. Well, he's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the supreme problem in high criticism. He's a fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the cardinal necessity of spiritual religion. And that's my king. He's the miracle of the age. He's the superlative of everything good that you choose to call him. Well, he, he's the only one able to supply all of our needs simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He's star God and he dies. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. Do you know him? Well, my king is a king of knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. He's a master of the mighty. He's a captain of the populace. He's a head of the heroes. He's a leader of the legislators. He's the overseer of the overcomers. He's the governor of governors. He's the prince of princes. He's the king of kings. And he's the lord of lords. That's my king. His office is manifold. His promise is sure. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you, but he, he's indescribable. He's indescribable. Yeah. He, he's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. I'm trying to tell you, the heavens of heavens cannot contain him, let alone a man explaining him. You can't get him out of your mouth. You can't get him off of your hands. You can't out living and you can't live without him. Well, Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree. And Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. That's my king. Yeah. He always has been, and he always will be. I'm talking about he had no predecessor, and he'll have no successor. 
There was nobody before him, and there will be nobody after him. You can't even teach him, and he's not going to resign. That's right. Here's the kingdom, and the power, and the glory. Hey! All the power belongs to my king. We around here talking about black power, and white power, and green power, but it's God's power. Time is the power. Yeah! And the glory. We finally get prestige and honor and glory for ourselves, but... The glory is all his. Yes, thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever and ever. How long is that? And ever and ever and ever and ever. And when you get through with all of the forever, then amen. Hallelujah. Stand to your feet all over this room and... Would you give some glory to your king? I said, if he's your king, would you stand to your feet all over this room and just open your mouth and begin to praise him and give some glory to the king of kings and the Lord of lords this morning. Hallelujah. 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 Come on, church. Just open your mouth and give him some praise. We glorify you. We honor you. We extol you. We adore you. We worship you today. God, you are our king. Hallelujah. I don't know what you may be going through this morning. But I do know this. Whatever you may be facing does not diminish His worthiness. I don't know what trials and suffering you may be dealing with. But I do know He's still worthy. He's still awesome. He's still infinite. He's still mighty. He's still faithful. He's still powerful. He's still in control. He's still on the throne. He still raises up princes and tears them down. He's still God this morning. Hallelujah. Regardless of what you're going through, regardless, I challenge you this morning. I want you to enter His gates with thanksgiving. I want you to to determine that you're going to have an attitude of gratitude. Why don't you start thanking Him before you see the miracle. Thank Him before He multiplies anything. Thank Him before He saves that loved one. Thank Him before He sends the answer. Thank Him before He moves in your life. Because your heart of gratitude will move His hand. However, don't just stop inside the door. Don't just stop in the foyer. Move deeper into the progression. Go to a deeper level, a more advanced stage. Move on into praise. Praise Him for who He is. Praise Him for His worth. Join David in the rest of Psalm 100. Notice in verse 3, he praises Him because He's God. In verse 5, he praises him because he's good. He praises him because his love endures forever. He praises him because he's faithful to all generations. The other day, Angie and I were sitting around talking. 
And I said, do you ever stop to wonder? We're talking about the situation this world is in. Do you ever stop to wonder what it's going to be like? What kind of world it's going to be for our grandchildren to raise their children in? But then as I was studying this week, trying to develop an attitude of gratitude in myself, I got to this verse and I said, God, I thank you that you're good. I thank you that your unfailing love continues forever. God, I thank you that you've been faithful to me and Angie, but I thank you you're going to be faithful to Abby and Shelby. And then I thank you, God, you're going to be faithful to their children. And you'll still be faithful to their children's children. And regardless of what kind of world they live in, you'll still be faithful to their children's children's children. God, you are worthy. You are faithful. I'm going to give you praise.